We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. And let me give you just a, a brief review that will help you kind of better understand today's message in case you've missed any of the previous weeks. The Apostle Paul planted churches in the southern area of Asia Minor, which made up the Roman province of Galatia. And as soon as he left that area, he received word that false teachers had come in behind him and were distorting the gospel that he had taught these Gentile believers. And the false teachers were telling these new converts that they not only had to have faith in Christ, but they also had to adhere to the Jewish law, Mosaic law, especially the ceremonial law, um, and, and particularly circumcision. So they were saying that really in order to be saved, not only did you have to have faith in Christ, but you had to do something yourself as well. And see, these Old Testament ceremonial laws such as uh, circumcision, they were given in part to show how impossible it is to make ourselves acceptable before God. They had only certain things they could eat, certain things they could wear, certain things they could do if they were going to go God's people and worship Him. And the point is to show that God is holy and we are not. And it's to show how impossible it is to be acceptable before God. And it anticipated those laws, the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we know it is not circumcision nor adherence to any other Jewish law that can save a man or a woman. It's not any of those things that make us clean. But it is being found in Jesus Christ Himself. He has fulfilled the law. He kept it perfectly. It's fulfilled in Him. And through Jesus Christ, we can be saved. It's, uh, we are saved. Here's the simple gospel. We are saved. We say it often uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. It is not because of any merit that's within ourselves. We're saved by grace. That grace is appropriated to us through faith in Christ. Amen? And that is reason to celebrate. Because that means this morning that you do not have to do anything to earn God's approval. You talk about freedom. That is freedom. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. There's nothing you can do today to make God love you more. Nor is there anything you can do to make God love you less. And that doesn't mean that we preach a gospel that says anything goes. Because it doesn't. But our motive, see, for... Obeying God for following His Word is quite different than somebody under the law. Under the law, you obey because you're scared to death. But that's not the heart of a Christian. We we, we, we obey God. We follow His Word. Why? Because He first loved us. And because He's lavished us with grace. So why would we not want to serve Him? It says in the Bible that His commands now are not burdensome. It's not a burden for me as a believer, saved by grace through faith, to follow Jesus Christ. To obey Him, to walk in His ways. Jesus did everything that needed to be done to make us acceptable before God. And so that's why we celebrate today our true freedom in Him. That's the gospel message. So the gospel is a set of beliefs, but it's more than just beliefs. The gospel has massive implications 
for the way in which we live and think. And you cannot receive the gospel and not be totally changed. If you've received Christ, if you've believed upon Christ, you are a new creation. You've been born again. And that has many different implications. Your life will look radically different than before you knew Jesus. So today, I want to look at a couple of those implications. We've talked a lot over the past several weeks about the beliefs associated with the gospel. Today, we want to talk about how that affects our lives. So if you would, for just a moment, stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas, Cephas is Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James he was eating with the Gentiles but when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy you know people are watching us it's, it's not just Peter that messed up here, but he led others into sin. Verse 14, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and do not act like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because of works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Father, we love you and are grateful that we have true freedom in Jesus Christ today. And that's ultimately what we celebrate. We thank you for the wonderful freedom that we experience in this country. But even more so for the experience we have, the freedom that we have and experience because of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. This is a tough subject I'm about to preach on. And I pray that we would receive it. And view it through a biblical lens, not a lens of tradition. Help our hearts to be mended this morning and help us to repent if we fall short, as many of us do in this area. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we looked at the first part of chapter 2 where Paul writes about his visit to Jerusalem where he and the other apostles affirmed with great confidence this beautiful, unifying truth that we are all saved by faith in Jesus and nothing more. And so now Paul moves from this meeting in Jerusalem to writing the Galatians about another meeting with Peter that actually happened in Antioch, which was a Gentile city. And this meeting was quite a bit different than the meeting in Jerusalem. Paul actually had a confrontation with Peter. Now to be sure, Paul and Peter loved each other. They are brothers in Christ. But I I want to encourage you today and know that even when you love one another, there will at times be conflict even in the church. 
Because we love each other doesn't mean that we're not going to have conflict. So you and I are imperfect people. And if we're around each other enough, if our relationship goes deep enough, there will be a time, not intentionally hopefully, but there will be a time where there will be conflict. And that's all right. When that happens, we don't run to another church. We work through it, just like in a family. And we are a family here, amen? And so conflict is at times... Uh, unavoidable, it's necessary, and we need to handle it in a God-honoring way. So it's interesting here that, that Paul calls out Peter in a very public way. What in the world would have him do this? Well, let me show you in verse 14. Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what it is right there. I said to Peter before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force these Gentiles to live like Jews? So I want you to pay attention to the first part of that verse in verse 14. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he addresses them. You see, our lives must line up with the gospel. This phrase tells us two things. Number one, it tells us that the gospel is truth. And we know this. That means it's not a truth. It is the truth. It's not one option. The simple gospel that we sing about and we preach about is the option. Are you with me? It is a message that is unchangeable, non-negotiable. A message that, uh, as we learned earlier, cannot be distorted at all. In chapter 1, Paul's writing the Galatians and he says to distort the gospel is to desert God himself. It's a big deal. So the second thing that we see from this is that this passage means that the gospel has multiple implications for the way in which we live our lives. We are expected as Christians to walk in step with the gospel that we preach. When we don't, that's when we're referred to as what? Hypocrites. And this is why Paul was moved to confront Peter in such a blunt and forceful way. His actions at this moment were not in step with the gospel. And it's encouraging to me, uh, a, a man who, who loves God but, but who stumbles from time to time just like you. To, it's encouraging to me to know that even Peter stumbled. There were times in Peter's life and Paul's life to be sure. Their lives did not line up with the gospel because we are not practically perfect. Positionally, we're saints in Christ, but we don't always act like saints, do we? Come on, nudge your neighbor and say, that's you. So the way that you walk out the gospel, listen, probably has, I would say, more influence than even how you talk about the gospel. Both are important. Let me illustrate this. If you have children, you might teach them... For instance, don't lose your temper. But then you watch them lose your temper and it's like looking in a mirror and you realize, you say, why did they do this? I told them not to lose their temper. And you realize, well, they've seen mom and dad lose their temper. We were one time we were ready to get on Connor just, not, just recently and Nikki goes, she leans over, she goes, he's acting just like us. What she meant was he was just acting just like her. She just, she just threw me under the bus as well. But there are two ways here specifically in which Peter's life was not lining up with the gospel. And and see, 
you can say that you believe the gospel when your life does not act in accordance with it, you can lead people astray. It's a fearful thing. So we need to take this very seriously. Here's the first way uh, that, that Peter's life did not line up with the gospel. It's through prejudice. Okay, now, I'm, I'm aware that in this area, um, I, don't, I don't think in this church necessarily, but in this area, this is not going to be a popular message. Maybe it's a good thing 80 people are out today. But listen to me, prejudice is not in line in any way, shape, or form with the gospel. Did you hear me? Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Okay, He had no problem eating with the Gentiles. But when these men came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. In the Old Testament, see, uh, again, certain ceremonial laws were given for God's people to follow in order to be ceremonially clean before God in worship. Jews were not to eat uh, certain unclean foods or touch unclean things. It was a very complex and a very tedious system. I'm glad we don't have to live by that anymore because I love me some bacon. Come on, somebody. Animals and certain objects and even certain types of food and clothing and even men and women could be considered what the Bible would call unclean. And so the purpose, again, of these ceremonial laws was to show that sinful people cannot worship God, cannot come into His presence without being clean. There are standards that must be met before we can come before a holy God. And and, and the time of, of these laws has obviously passed. Again, finding their fulfillment where? In Jesus Christ. We are clean and we are blameless before God because we are in Christ. Are you with me? Yes. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of the flesh by His death in order, here it is, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus Christ is the one. When we put faith in Him, when we abide in Jesus Christ, we can go boldly now into the throne room of God. Why? Because we're holy and we're blameless in Christ. God the Father sees us in the garments of Christ. He sees us in the purity of Christ. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And I thank Him for it every day. That's why this morning before we come to church that we don't have to make sure we eat certain things and wear certain materials and not touch certain people lest we become unclean. That's why today if you are a Gentile and you get saved, we don't have to have a... A, a, a surgeon outside, if you're a male, for circumcision. Because those things have been, have been changed. Those laws are, are fulfilled, rather, in Jesus Christ. And so we're not bound by them anymore. Amen? That is freedom. So Peter, here's what's interesting, had been freed from these laws. He enjoyed fellowship with non-Jews. 
and had experienced the freedom to not have to adhere to this list of rules and regulations. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 10, you can read this in your study this week. We read that Peter was commissioned to uh, reach a man by the name of Cornelius, who was a Gentile with the gospel. He was supposed to reach this man with the gospel. And in Acts chapter 11, we find that he witnesses God's saving mercy to the Gentiles. What a beautiful day that was. And Peter quickly learned what it means to be free in Christ. I bet somebody grilling bacon for the first time, right, that morning. He knew what it was to be free. But here, Peter has a relapse. And he succumbs to pressure and separates himself again from the Gentiles. It means he cut himself off from other Christians because they were not like him. Now how often do we act hypocritically as to what we believe? Have you ever been in a moment, had a weak moment, and you feel that old self rise up again? The things that God delivered you from, have you ever felt... Those things kind of rise up in you again. You, you said, who was that? Where did he come from? Where did she come from? You act in a way that is not in line with the gospel that happens. And when it does, we need to confess those things. We need to repent before the Lord. That's what Peter does. And it's again, it's encouraging to know that even Peter stumbles. And the book of 1 John tells us that we will stumble. There's a difference in stumbling and walking 24-7 in sin. A, a Christian does not live in sin, but he or she will stumble. And when we do, we confess our sins to the Lord. And He is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen? And so we often act in a hypocritical manner. But Paul confronts Peter when Peter acts hypocritical. And we need to be better about confronting one another. There's something I, I say often, I don't know where I heard this from, if I heard it anywhere, but just in case, I'll, I'll say I didn't come up with it, this phrase. But it's this, that love demands confrontation. Love demands confrontation. Most people today want to go in a church where nobody knows them, and where nobody will get in their business, and where nobody will call them out. That's not church. It doesn't mean you can't go to a large church. You can. But you better be in a small group. And you better have somebody that knows you, that's in leadership, that can help you. Because it's necessary. This, this part of the Christian life is necessary. We need to hold one another accountable. We have about 120 people at this church who call this church their home. And it is all I can do to keep up with everybody. And we need each other. Not only do you need to have accountability, but you need to hold others accountable as well. I've asked my staff, when you see my life step out of line with the gospel, and if you're around me long enough, you'll, you'll see this. I want you to hold me accountable. If it's bad, I want you to tackle me to the floor and beat me down. Because I don't want... People are watching me as a preacher of the gospel. And I don't want to be like Peter here and be causing other people to stumble... Because of my hypocrisy. Are you with me? It's a fearful thing. And so Peter's sin here is a little bit of prejudice that's rising up in him. His sin really was essentially, uh, it was a form of nationalism. He, He made the Gentiles feel like second class citizens 
because of his actions. And he was causing other people to do the same. He didn't believe that they were second class citizens anymore in his heart. He knows the gospel. He knows that the Gentiles, non-Jews are welcome into the family of God. But his actions were not lining up with his faith. And he refuses to eat with them. He separates himself from them. Now eating together shows a sense of oneness, doesn't it? I mean, you eat with those who you really embrace normally. That's why Jesus was ridiculed by the religious folks because Jesus was eating with people whom the other Pharisees shunned. Now this is... Think of these Pharisees, these religious people. The tax collectors whom everybody hated. They would cheat people a lot of money. The drunks, the wine-bibbers. The Pharisees shunned them. They're unclean. That's the Old Testament. These people are unclean. We can't get near them. We can't fellowship with them. But Jesus came... Not to condemn the world, but to seek and save those who are lost. And he would eat with the wine bibber, the sinner, the tax collector, the drunk. He would eat with those who everybody else shunned. Which is, you, you think, well, what's the big deal? To eat with them is to embrace them. Jesus came for the ones that everybody else shunned. And Peter gets it now. Because the Holy Spirit revealed to him that the Gentiles are welcome into the fold now. That that this is not just a, Jesus is not just a Jewish God. That he came to save Jews and Gentiles alike. Because all of us are in need of a Savior. And so we are one family. And Peter knew this, but at this moment... His actions showed that no, Gentiles, you might be saved, but you're second class. Oh, let this never be portrayed in our churches. Prejudice in any way, shape, or form has no place in the gospel. See, the gospel brings us together. It does not separate. So when we separate people from ourselves... Whether it's generationally, denominationally, racially, socially, culturally, in any way. When we refuse to break bread with other Christians because of those differences or any other difference. We are out of step with the gospel. And we need to repent. I want you to think of the last month of meals that you spent with people. I know you don't know every meal, but think of the times you went out to eat. Or you had somebody in your home to eat with your family Do all of the other people, do they look just like you? Are they of your same social class, skin color, race, belief system? That's convicting. Let me just give a news flash this morning that your people, quote unquote, are no longer the people with your skin color. Your people are the people of God. Red, yellow, black and white. Your people are not just of your social class. You don't just get, if you're rich, you don't get to hang with the high fluting people anymore. You embrace the poor. And vice versa. Christian people are not just the people of your denomination. If you're Baptist, it's not just Baptist. If you're Pentecostal, it's not just Pentecostals or Presbyterians or Methodists or Church of God or whatever. We are one body. One body. I went to a conference this year 
that was, uh, normally I go to all the Assemblies of God conferences and I just felt led and I'm grateful for our board who, who paid for us, a, a few of us from our church, to go to a conference that was full of Presbyterians and Baptists that view some things different from us, but they believe in the simple gospel. I love these guys. I grew up Southern Baptist. I still have a lot of that in me and, and I am so proud of that. And we are brothers and we are sisters in Christ. And I walked away. I learned so much from them. So, so I am grateful. And, and sometimes I've experienced this in my life. I experienced this when I was at Central Baptist growing up. That we felt linked, like we had it all. We knew it all. And we kind of felt like, yeah, okay, maybe these other denominations are Christians, but they're second class. They don't have it like we have it. Assemblies of God, it's the same thing. Oh, those whatever denomination, they just don't have it like we have it. Because they don't see the Holy Spirit in the same way that we see the Holy Spirit. And so we segregate and separate ourselves. And then let me tell you a big one. It's, it is, and I love this church because we have denominations. I mean, about every denomination is represented here. I love that. I think it's God glorifying. We're not just one group of people from one background. But the big one is what about politically? I watch Facebook. Come on, somebody. I know your stuff. Listen, Jesus didn't just die for Republicans. Come on, somebody. He did not just die for Democrats. And so we, we act like that other people have... have now, don't get me wrong. There are biblical values. But I'm not just talking about values. I, I'm talking about when we blast people, you're stupid for voting for so-and-so. You're stupid for believing this or this or this. And we act like they're not the same as we are. Sinners in need of a Savior. None of us have the answers. Jesus has the answers. It's about Him. It's not about us or a political party. So the church should be the example in inclusiveness and in unity. And don't get me wrong, this does not mean that anything goes. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm just talking about when we all believe in the gospel, we need to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Though there may be some differences politically. Though there may be some differences in some what I'll call minor doctrines. All doctrines are important. But we believe these other denominations I listed in the main things. And we should never treat each other as second class citizens. We ought to come together in every way and worship God together. People say, well, I don't have much in common with them. And I go, really? Are you a Christian? The main part of your life ought to be Jesus. <laughs> I, I, can I went to Mexico, to, to uh, Guadalajara. I didn't speak their language and I sat there and, and somehow we had beautiful fellowship. I had nothing culturally in common with them except I like tacos. That's it. And we had a beautiful time of fellowship. Why? Because we had both loved Jesus. Jesus Christ unifies us. The gospel unifies us and it's a beautiful thing. You know, my goal here is not that we would have just a young church. I'm a young preacher. Everybody said amen. I love, I am. <laughs> I, I am getting older. But, but here's the thing. When I grew up, if I did not have the elders in my church, the old, older people pouring into me, I would not be the man I am today. 
And you know what churches are doing now? They're having, they have these things called worship wars. And so it's, it's traditional service and contemporary service. Translation. Old people service, young people service. And you know what's sad about that? You know what's sad about that? The, the, the older folks that go to those services never get to see new life. Brought into the kingdom of God. Rarely do they get to see that. They don't get to see the vibrancy of young people coming in. And they don't get to pass the baton. There's a division. And young people, sadly, are not getting the mentorship that the Bible calls us to as older men and women of God. And so they're staying in stages of infancy in their faith. Because and it's, it, you don't have to have two services. Watch our service on a Sunday when it's packed in here. Watch the generations go. Now it's a little better here. But watch the, the groups we go to. People who are like us. And that's natural. It's human tendency. But it's not gospel tendency. We are one. Alright? So prejudice is out of step with the gospel. Now, there's another thing that, that Peter is dealing with here, and it's actually deeper than, than the prejudice. Because he knows he's eating with Gentiles. He doesn't have an issue with this. But he, he lets something else get to him, and that is the fear of man. Hear me, the fear of man is not in line with the gospel. Right. Verse 12, before certain men came from James, now these men would have been the Judaizers, the one who said they came from Jerusalem. They said that they represented the the mothership church in Jerusalem. They believed in uh, that that you had to be circumcised to really be a Christian. They believed you had to eat kosher to really be a Christian. So when they came to James, it says before they came um, from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He had no issue with this. But watch this. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself. Fearing the circumcision party. Fearing those men. The fear of men will make you do some crazy things. Now listen to me. Peter was happy to break bread with the Gentiles and eat bacon. Alright? He was happy to do it. He was happy to live freely from the Jewish ceremonial laws until people that disagreed with him showed up. And how often are we tempted? Though we know something is right or something is wrong, how often are we tempted to veer away from those values of the gospel because of what somebody else thinks? Whether it's at work, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. You know you shouldn't laugh at that joke. You know you ought to walk away. You know you shouldn't go where they go or do what they do, but but you have pressure You know that you ought to share the gospel with them, but you're afraid that they might laugh at you or think of you as weak or uneducated because you believe something like the gospel. And so we succumb at times to social pressure because we don't want anybody to think less of us. We, be honest, like to be liked, don't we? But Paul reminds us earlier in Galatians, he said, I'm not here to please man, but God. You cannot please God and man. So whom would you rather have their applause? Would you rather God look at you and, and smile upon you and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, or the world? 
To say, oh yeah, you're, you're great, man. You're cool. You're, you're awesome. Which way would you rather have it? We've got to stand up. And I don't mean that we walk around acting like we're high and mighty and better than everybody else. That's not it at all. But we have the truth and we've got to walk in the truth, not just believe it. If we believe it, we will walk in it. Our lives have to line up with the gospel. The gospel demands that we do this. Now, let's talk about prejudice for a moment. I don't really feel like prejudice is a problem in this church in belief. But what about an action? Okay, now I want you to listen to me and I've prayed and prayed and prayed. to make. I'm not, I'm not using this this morning for shock value. I'm not trying to be dramatic. But I think we still have some, there is some deep embedded racism still in our country and especially in this area. That is out of step with the gospel. It's, an out of, it's out of step with the gospel. Several months ago, John Piper, I wish I had time to show this. You can look this up online. It's a video called Bloodline. It's a Bloodlines. It's an 18-minute video about his story. He grew up in really, really um, a secular or, or Christian church that, uh, really large Christian church that was deep-seated in, in racism. Um, just very, very, his community was very deep-seated in racism. And he said, all of us today like to think we're not racist. He said, here's the real test, and I want to give you this test today. Okay? And uh, I, I feel like this is going to stir some of your hearts. This is going to... But I encourage you, this is hard for me to, to, to teach because it's personal for me. But if, if you cannot answer this in a way that's God glorifying... There needs to be some repentance today. Everybody in here would probably, because I know most of you, would say, Pastor, I'm not a racist. Or a nationalist. Or, I, I believe that the, what we teach at the ground, at the foot of the cross, is level. Your son or daughter calls you and says, Mama, Daddy, I've met somebody. And they're not your skin color. Gold. How do you respond? That's the ultimate test to know. Several weeks ago, you, you got to know I have two boys. I have a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. My younger son, we know everything about his life. He tells it all. And he likes the ladies. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. <laughs> Dylan, on the other hand, loves sports. He's loved sports his son. He just hasn't, he's been focused on school and uh, he might, you know, say something every now and again about a young lady, but he's 17 and just hasn't had much, much interest in girls. And uh, he is, he's, he just loves basketball. That's all he thinks about basketball, 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 basketball. And, uh, and the Lord, I should say. <laughs> he, he loves Jesus with all his heart. And, and Dylan is, is introverted. He doesn't share much with us at all. But he started smiling a lot more about four weeks ago. <laughs> he grinned and his, um, he just did some, some funny things. We were at, he was at this conference I was telling you about with us. And he bought a book. And I said, who's, who's that for? And he's like, oh, this is just for a friend at school. 
I said, yeah. Okay. And he just kind of grinned and looked down at the ground. I asked him, by the way, that if I could share this. And he said, no, but I'm sharing it. <laughs> I'll just say, he said, I could share it. Um, three weeks ago, I'm at home, and I get a knock on the door, and it's Amazon. And I'm like, I don't remember ordering anything. We have Prime, you know, we get orders all the time. I'm like, I don't know what this is. And I, I open it up, and it's a girl-size Steph Curry t-shirt. And I'm like, I, don't, I hope my boys aren't cross-dressing. But I don't know who this is for. I don't think Nikki ordered this. This is not her style. And, and Dylan says, oh, that's my, my package. I says, uh-huh. <laughs> Talk to me, son. Talk to me, son. So Dylan has a, a girl that is head over heels for him. And uh, he's head over heels for her, I think, though he won't admit it. And um, this girl loves Jesus with all her heart. And Dylan's actually on the computer, so he can hide up there as he shows this. But he's going to show you a picture of her. Um, you have that, Dylan? Sorry. Amen. And if you don't do anything but celebrate that. This is a dear, young, godly woman. Let me just be real with you. I dance with joy because I prayed for Dylan to have a godly woman come into his life. And there are people in our community, maybe in our church, I hope not, that would have no problem with their son bringing home a girl of the same race, even if she was not a believer. That's an issue. That's an issue. And people say to me, well, that's something you can work through. No, that's what the Bible commands against. Being unequally yoked. It has nothing to do with race. Nothing. Do we really believe there's no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female? That's it. Now, that does not mean that we don't support traditional marriage. All right? We do support traditional marriage. But I'm saying that the, 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 the color of somebody's skin does not mean that we cannot date. And this is... It's sad that we still have some of this in our country. It's sad. And so that's the ultimate test. And guys, just to be very clear, it's not in line with, it's not in line with the gospel. I've had family members before tell me, well, it's, it's not that we think that somebody of a different race is any less, but there's cultural differences. And I say, okay, then why did you allow Nikki and I to get married? Stand up, baby. Come here. <laughs> this girl's pretty. I'm ugly. <laughs> why should we? <laughs> no, really. You cannot ask for two different people to get married. Dylan and this girl have more in common than Nikki and I have. Nikki grew up on a farm. I grew up in the city. Nikki grew up eating every meal in a ball field. I had three home-cooked meals a day. They stayed gone from their house almost all the time. We were homebodies. My family are planners. We, you, you know about a barbecue six months ahead of time. Nikki's parents will call us up. They're not here today. I can pick on them. And they'll say, hey, in ten minutes we're having a birthday party. Can you be here? And it's not, one that's, it's not that one's right and one's wrong. They're just different. 
You don't think we had some cultural barriers to get over when we first married? She threw a crock pot at me in week two of our marriage. Oh, it was a chest pass. She threw it. I still have a scar. We have, we have differences. But you know what? Any two people that come together, they have major differences. All right? So my, my point is, I don't, this is just one, one area of prejudice. There are many others. What if your, your daughter brings home the opposite political party as you? What do you do? Come on, somebody. You're like, skin color, that's fine, though. They support the other. That's the, the fighting words right there, right? And so, listen. I don't even know how to, how to close this except to say, I think that maybe there needs to be some repentance this morning. Just like in Peter's life. Dylan, you can take that down, buddy. Thank you so much for letting me share that. Love you, son. I'm proud of my son. I'm proud of him. Because he sees Jesus and not skin color. All he cares about is meeting somebody that loves Jesus with all that. Okay. I want this for our church. I want to be a church that welcomes, I mean really, I know that we welcome different races and things in here as far as, yeah, you can come worship with us. And, and I see this already in our church where we can, we, we do dine together. But that needs to be more and more and more. We need to be intentional about eating with other people. And you get the implication there, right? It's not just about supper. That everybody that's in our circle doesn't just look like us. Now, there are people in my life, you know, I'm not going to call somebody to go fishing that doesn't like fishing. I'm going to call somebody that has something there in common. But I'm talking about, there's no reason I can't have over in my house somebody that doesn't, isn't in my same social class or political understanding or skin color, so on and so forth. We need to step out of our comfortable circles. And I have been moved to repentance. I'm, my, my, the greatest story I know about my grandparents, and they, they grew up in deep-seated racism in our country. I mean, when it was the worst. And so they were indoctrinated with that other races are, especially the African-American, are lesser. And they were indoctrinated with this. The greatest story I know of my grandfather, who, who still, that stuff's hard to get out of your system. The greatest story I know of him is this, though. The greatest story I know is this. When my, my grandfather was in the service, he served in, in Korea. And one of his, uh, one of the other men who served with him, they, they came back to the States and they were eating. They went to sit down at a local diner. I believe it was in Michigan. And it was a, an African-American man that was with him. And the Waiter comes up and says, Sir, I'm sorry, but we cannot serve your type here. Or actually, he looks at my grandfather and says, We can't serve his type. He wouldn't even talk to him. My grandfather, so proud of this, he stood up and he said, You can't serve me either. You can't serve me either. And he walked out of that place. We need to bolden our steps. If you are a majority, racial majority, you need to make sure that you don't find yourself superior. And if you're in a racial minority, you can go both ways. I know that our past has crossed and it's been ugly. But the gospel and prejudice on either side is, is wrong. 
The gospel demands forgiveness. I'm sorry for, I don't know what my, all my ancestors did, but I'm sorry for that. And I can't change it. But I try my best to welcome everybody, and I hope that everybody sees that. And when we are prejudiced in any way, friend, it's not just about me and you, but we're dragging other people down, and what we're saying is that the, the ground at the foot of the cross really is not that. My, my uncle went to a great school, and my two, two of my cousins just graduated that up until 2000, the year 2000, they wouldn't let, they wouldn't allow interracial dating. It was in the rule, rule book. They actually lost the tax exempt status, just got it back. My uncle's an awesome, awesome man of God. I love him. One of my mentors. But there are some things, I think, with, with his people that they had to be led to repentance. And so all I'm, I'm asking you is if you have not just racial, but any type of prejudice in your heart, if you gulped when you saw my son's picture up there, and go, he's a pastor. If that thought in your mind, even for a moment, I just beg you to get on your knees before the Lord. Now, I'm going to go up, I'm going to lead a song, I'm going to sing this out. I give myself away. This is the heart of the gospel. You want to walk in line with the gospel? It means life is not about you anymore, it's not about me anymore. It means that our life is for Jesus Christ. We prefer others above ourselves, we live for God and others. So I want us to sing this from the depths of our heart. And I'm going to open up this altar. And I, want to, I want to clarify this. That if there's any prejudice in your heart or anything else you need, Pastor Ben and Dean are going to be up here and, and my wife and to pray for you because I'll lead you in song. If you need anything, um, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, oh, we'd love to pray with you. If you've got anything going on in your life, you want to pray with you.